Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. That's kind of a hard way to end up that little passage of Scripture. Kind of wish I'd have cut that off a little bit earlier. Something a little less hateful and ugly and negative. It is... uh, the 3rd of July, and um, tomorrow I hope you find a place that you, where you can eat all kinds of really good stuff and then find a place where you can go and celebrate by watching fireworks, and I hope you love your country. That is tomorrow, today, we celebrate the fact that God loves all the countries. So if... if it seems conspicuous in its absence. Um, it's intentional. Well, we're Christians who happen to live in America and not Americans who happen to be Christian. Anyway, so here we go. Not too long ago, uh, well, actually, it's been probably 15 years or so now, if I can remember back, Jason, you might have to help me here. We, we made this announcement, and it went something like this. We will no longer have the Sunday night service Some of you uh, have no idea what I'm talking about. There was a time when in this very room, at 6 o'clock, literally dozens of us would gather for for a Sunday evening service, right? And there came a moment when we said, you know what, we're going to reformat. We are still reformatting. Just, just so you know, I feel like there will not be a time when we are not in transition because as the culture changes and transitions and, and transforms, we want to change and transition and transform to stay in step with not just the culture, but this Jesus who calls us to the culture. So we will always kind of be in some sense of transition, and, and certainly we, we began that transition in earnest when we made the announcement we will no longer have Sunday evening service But this was the complaint that we heard back more than once. It meant something like this. You've got to have your Sunday evening service because if you don't, I don't know when anybody's going to get saved. It was her belief. And I say it was multiple uh, responses because I think she said it like 15 times. But it was her belief. But that's when people got saved. It was her belief that folks would walk off of the street Bad people would walk off of the street. People in need, lost people would say, you know what, it's time. And they would walk off of the street and come here and we would uh, provide the time and the place for them to be saved. Now hear, hear me. God can do whatever God wants to do. And if God wants to send somebody off the street If God puts God's thumb in somebody's back and shoves them through these doors six o'clock on a Sunday night, I hope somebody's here so we can pray with them and and have one of those encounters that result in someone's life being changed. My problem is not uh, that that is somehow completely wrongheaded, it's just desperately incomplete. Here's Here's what I mean. That can't be the only time people become Christian, amen? No, I need it to be better than that. Okay, that's better, that's better. This, this, that can't be the only way and the only time that the people of God are involved in other people becoming Christian. If that is what happens, if that is the only way that it happens, we are at fault. We, God's not at fault. We are at fault. I don't, I don't use this word with us very much, and I I probably should use it more often, this word outreach or evangelism. I probably should. I probably should say to you more often, part of what we're supposed to be as a body, as, as the people of God, the body of Christ, part of what we're supposed to be doing is fishing. Remember that? That's part of what we're supposed to be doing. We are supposed to be these people who can be the means whereby folks are rescued and salvaged And for sure, because we want to make sure that their eternities are in order. But people, we are just as urgent. Words like salvation are concerned and and salvaging is concerned. We're just 
as anxious to make sure that folks have their today rescued and salvaged as well. Not just their eternity, but their today. Amen. Does everybody understand that? So we are to be an outreaching sort of people, but, I, but I, I think part of what keeps me from saying it more often is that I am really afraid that this is what you have in mind. I'm really afraid that as I use the terminology of outreach or evangelism, you have in mind those situations that we have all seen before, and maybe you're like me, situations that are just incredibly embarrassing to us. When people claiming to be Christians, that's the same word that I used to label myself, by the way, when people claiming to be Christians do this kind of stuff, this kind of stuff, hoping to somehow get somebody to move from darkness to light, lostness to foundness, I would submit to you that this is not a great way to go about it. I would submit to you, and, and this was actually said, we are having our, I love the way that the book of Luke is, is moving along so nicely with our unclean discussions on Wednesday nights. And by the way, you are still welcome. It's, the class is big enough now that we're actually meeting in here. It's actually larger, I think, than the Sunday evening service 15 years ago. And we're going to meet kind of right down here in the first couple of rows this, this next week. But I love how we are in step. As we talk through these, these false boundaries, we are talking about outreach and evangelism. We are. And, and one of the things that was said this past week went something like this. Look, if you're the person with the bullhorn and you're on the corner, we've all seen that before, right? It, it's been a little while since I've seen it in Bethany, but I've seen it in Bethany even before. I'm not blaming Bethany first. I'm pretty sure it wasn't then, right? But I've seen folks get out on the corners and shout at cars. And one of our panelists on Wednesday night said, quoting, I think, Dr. Green, our former pastor, said, that is immoral. It's immoral. And here's what he meant. It's immoral to reduce the breadth and the width and the scope of Christianity down to something that can be somehow transferred or communicated on a bullhorn that leaves a person with this long if you're traveling as fast as I do around corners, all right? You know, at 70 miles an hour around corners in Bethany, to leave people this long to say yes or no when we believe the question has eternal consequences, that's immoral. That is immoral. And because I'm afraid that this is what you think, or you think this too much, when I use phrases like evangelism and outreach, then maybe I, I don't say it often enough. So let me, let me say this to you today. If you understand yourself to be connected in a saving sort of way to Christ, part of what happens then is your heart is moved and shaped so that you can be a fisher of people. Because what's supposed to happen is our hearts then are supposed to move and enlarge for folks who aren't yet caught. Hopefully, you are just as moved and as concerned about people who have found hell already. Hey, y'all. Uh, heaven and hell. Now, I'm, this is an educated guess, okay, because I haven't actually been to either place just yet, although maybe I have. But they are, are at the very least extensions of what we have here that can be understood as kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that. And I certainly have been around many who seem to have stumbled into hell as we understand hell to be separation from God. They've walked so far away. And God's gentlemen, right, this is the God that we serve around here. Our God does not eliminate your capacity to choose, but our God honors and respects your capacity to choose in that you are made in God's own image. And so if exercising your God's own image, you decide to walk away, God mourns, watches you walk away, and then kind of chases you. But lets you walk away and then kind of chases you. <laughs> but lets you walk away. So what do we mean when we say outreach and evangelism? If it's not that, then what is it? Okay? Well, part of what's, what's wrong in this thought that, no, no, people only get saved here at the church, part of what's wrong is this. There is inherent in that understanding, this belief that God lives here 
and bad stuff happens out there. And here's what's wrong with that. All of creation belongs to God. <laughs> you will not step foot on any square footage out there that doesn't already belong to God, the God who's already won all of the victories that need to be won. You just won't. Now, that doesn't mean that people haven't, and especially Christians, haven't vacated places to leave them a little darker than they should be, but I'm telling you right now, we aren't out there trying to refight a battle that's already been won, and we're not out there trying to reclaim territory that's not already God's. I can get some trouble for this, but here's what I've been saying for years, and I've written it, and I've learned it, and I believe it. We're the ones who create the division between the sacred and the secular. In God's mind, this is my Father's world. So what is evangelism? It's announcing that. That it all belongs to God, and that the victories have already been won, and sometimes it involves your words. How are we doing, so far so good? you deer in the headlights out there, I'm going to say that's okay. It, it kind of looks like this. Now, you may have seen this, this young man. There's a young man here named Ethan. Wave at me, Ethan. Okay, Ethan is, for the next six weeks or so, our oldest child. <laughs> uh, the, the, the son of David and Joanne Rock, our friends from Northern Ireland. Now, do you remember when David Rock was here and his accent was so cool that we made him read scripture? Do you remember that? That guy, yeah. We're not going to do that to you, Ethan. Relax. It's Okay. But David Rock, and that's him on the top right-hand corner, that picture, and on the farthest right-hand side, David Rock has, until very recently, run youth ministry in all of Ireland, in all of Ireland, for the Methodist Church. And they have this incredible ministry called Team on a Mission, Team on a Mission, the Tom Team, the Tom Team. Every year, they say to young people, most of them having just graduated high school, maybe they're taking the year off of college, they say to them, would you be people who would be sent by the Methodist church wherever the church needs you to go to kind of set up shop and, and live for maybe two to six weeks at a time to do and to be what God needs you to do and be in support of a local church. And they spend an entire year doing this. Now, interestingly, it's not just been Irish or Methodist folks who have done that, but our very own Caleb Nims did it twice way back when. And there may be somebody at my house that's considering it. Praying through about it. I mean, I'm praying through about it. But what they do is very much in keeping with what Jesus hopes that we will do that fits into this new category of evangelism and outreach. Here's what they do. Here are some of the assumptions that guide what this Tom team will do. They will assume that it's good to live depending on the hospitality of others. That's pretty cool. So for two weeks or six weeks at a time, they'll go and stay in people's homes and eat what's set in front of them, right? They'll also go and understand that while they are offering and inviting the neighborhoods around the church to the church and to the kingdom, they also understand that at times they'll be met with rejection. That's okay. We're not responsible for the end result. We're responsible to do the inviting, the announcing. They understand, and this is the most important part, that as they go out into the world, into the countryside, throughout Ireland, here's this, this is really important, they understand that they won't necessarily be taking God where God isn't. They will be out there finding what God is already doing. That was really important. Here's what I mean. Please don't assume. Please don't assume that God's not out there already working and doing something through someone. Even in our own neighborhood, it's been helpful for us to think about it like this. Okay, are we bringing something to our neighborhood that isn't already there, or are we tapping into what God's already doing? We're a whole lot healthier. We're a whole lot healthier. When we are relieved of the responsibility of offering the work of God in the world, 
We're a whole lot healthier when we can understand ourselves as partnering with God to do what God wants to do in the world and what God is already doing in the world. That's what these kids are doing. Leanne and Bethany and Matthew and Jenny. That's what they're doing, or at least it was until this past week. A new team starts up here very soon, maybe just now started. But this gives us a little bit of an image of what it might look like if we were to take evangelism and outreach seriously. Oh, okay, so John, what you're saying is we have to quit our jobs and move to Ireland for a year and travel around in a minivan. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, the most important part is this. What is it that God's doing around you and how can you help? We do our best outreaching as the people of God. We do our best evangelism as the people of God when we understand that God has already won all the victories that God needs to win. Everybody know that, right? Now, sure, creation is still rebellious, but if you aren't sure that God has won all the victories that God needs to win, God is not yet God for you. Hey, let me tell you how this thing ends. God wins. And acting on that assumption and moving in those sorts of ways, we are then free to look around for the ways in which God is already working in and through people. And then we can ask ourselves this question. It's not, how can I bring God where God isn't? It's how can I help God do what God's already doing? Does that make some sense? After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. So much like the Tom team, wow, that sounds a lot better, much like the Tom team, these disciples weren't just going out there and (laughs) conjuring the presence of God, they were announcing, they were announcing the nearness of the kingdom of God. This number 70, and in your Bible, you may have a little note there that says it could be 72. This is a very important number. And it actually directs us all the way back to Genesis chapter 10. Now, in Genesis chapter 10, you have this genealogy passage. And in the original Hebrew language, you could kind of discern by this table of nations, which is what it's kind of been nicknamed, that there are 70 different countries in all the world. That's all they, that's all they understood there to be. 70 different countries in all the world. Now, when that Hebrew text was translated into Greek, we call that the Septuagint, somehow that table of nations grew to 72. There were 72 nations. And so you're Bible says 70 or 72, and the point is this, very clearly here, the message is supposed to be this, the mission of God is not just for Israel, it's not just aimed at Israel, it's for the entire world, all the countries, all the nations, all of them, even the ones you understand to be your or our enemies, We're called to all of those places. We're called to all the places. You don't have to go very far, do you, to find your enemies? Well, wherever you find your enemies, you are called to those places. That's what 70 or 72 means here. All the places where the kingdom has come near, we go there to announce that the kingdom has come near. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, I guess so, it's creation-wide, but the laborers are few, I guess so, because Christians don't yet really understand that we've won it, and that this is our job. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. He says a lot of other things, too. Don't take this, don't take that. The one that jumps off the page at me is, don't take sandals. Well... Won't they be limping by the time they get to the last town or village? Won't they be limping if they don't take sandals? Yeah, maybe. Because what's being said here is live and depend on the grace of God as evidenced by the people who would take you in. Because shows of strength are not representative of the kingdom of God. Mm, Some of you are disappointed Shoot, I really wanted shows of strength to be representative of the people of God. I really wanted shows of strength to be representative of the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus. Right? Who did not win via strength. He won via selfless, sacrificial love 
and vulnerability. We really need to be outreachers and evangelists, but we aren't outreachers and evangelists after the tradition of this God and this Jesus if we go walking around with sabers as opposed to walking around without sandals. So you'll need all of that stuff. God is faithful. It doesn't mean that you always get a yes because sometimes you don't get a yes. If you get a yes, spread this peace of God. If you don't get a yes, that's okay. Move on. Somebody else will, will want what it is that you have to say. Moving down to verses eight and nine. This is really huge. This is important. And this goes back to our Wednesday night discussions as well. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Here's why this is so important. And this is really delicate, and this is really dangerous for a pastor to say, so I'm glad that you love me, because don't you love me? Nine of you, thank you very much. (laughs) 70 or 72 representative of the width and the breadth of all of creation. Not all of those people lived according to the dietary laws of Israel. And yet they're sent to those places. Oh, okay, stay with me. And so it's said here is, if they'll have you, stay there, stay there. Let them feed you, give you something to drink. Now, if they give you something that is not on the list of acceptable foods, eat it. Man. In other words, if you're going to be outreachy, if you're going to be an evangelist in the tradition of Christ, then you don't lead with the law. You lead with grace. Uh, This was a tough one for Simon Peter, but a very similar kind of thing happens in Acts chapter 10. I don't know if you remember this story, but in Acts chapter 10, Simon Peter is really sleepy, so sleepy that he can take a nap on top of a building, okay? And in his sleep, there is a vision And in this vision, there is this giant sheet that's let down out of the heavens by four corners. As it gets closer to him, he can see that this this sheet is full of naughty foods, (laughs) foods that are not on the acceptable list, foods that if eaten, demonstrate Peter to be out of line and out of fellowship with the legalists. And so three times... The sheet comes down out of the heavens, and this is what's said to Peter, eat. And Peter, good believer that he was, says, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 not me, this is a test. I don't eat ugly stuff, I don't eat bad stuff on that list. And finally, what's said to him goes something like this. Look, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. And then we find out that if it's about food, it's about something more than food. Because then it goes something like this. Hey, Simon Peter, we want you to defile yourself, and not just by eating stuff on the, the, uh, the uh, no-fly zone list, but we want you to go and defile yourself by having contact with Gentiles. Cornelius, is the worst kind of Gentile, a Roman. Everybody knows that. Simon Peter took some convincing, and this is the scene of his convincing. Convinced that there's something more important than the laws that tell us what not to do and the laws that tell us who we are. Really, more important than that, what tells us who we are is the heart and the grace of God best seen in the life and the person and the face of Jesus. So as you go to these different homes... As you go to these different homes, eat what's put in front of you. Because there are certain things that are more important than laws that tell you who's in and who's out. And what's more important is the heart of God that says, you all get to be in. 
Are you okay with this so far? Most of you stayed in the room, so that's a good sign, I feel like. All right. Moving down. In verse 16, this is what's said before we get to verse 17. In verse 16, it goes something like this. Jesus says to them, hey, what you're doing is really important, really, really important. If someone accepts you and listens to you, it's as if they're listening to me and the one who sent me. But if they reject you, it's as if they reject me, says Jesus, and the one who sent me, God the Father. It's really important stuff. So he deputizes all of them. And this is what they say on their return. I love the, the sort of the youthful exuberance and all of this. They, they seem to be pretty wild-eyed and wide-eyed. They can't believe that it's all gone so well because even the disciples had yet to understand that the kingdom of God, kingdom of God, God I think that's a fish thing, the kingdom of God had come so near. It was already winning battles. And so they come back and they say, Lord, whoa, we had a great day. We had a great day. People got cured. People heard the good news. People were helped. And here's the thing. Even the demons submit to us. You all know me. If you've been here for any length of time, this is not my favorite subject. I don't, I don't like the subject. It's not that I don't believe in evil. I absolutely believe in evil. I just don't like the ways that we tend to make caricatures out of evil because I think a roundabout sort of way, if we can make evil into a cartoon character, then we're kind of off the hook. Somebody else made me do it, right? You heard that? No, no, no. I, I, I believe in evil. I just think sometimes it looks back at us in the mirrors. But the ancients believed that it went something like this. This is a, a painting that's actually called The Heavenly Battle. The Heavenly Battle. So it seems to be a serene sort of countryside with some still water and, and all of that down there at the bottom. But there is some turmoil up there at the top in the heavens where deities rage and they battle against one another. And that's actually pretty common way back when. And maybe still there are people out there who feel like at the end of the day, the battles that we fight here on earth are just simply demonstrations and manifestations of the larger battles that happen in the heavens. I kind of buy it. I kind of buy it. I, I kind of buy that there is this, this skirmish going on in the heavens. Now, the, the outcome is decided. You've heard me say that. But I kind of buy it. Not, not so much because I believe that God is somehow wrestling with Baal or some other deity that you can name, but because I think God is always wrestling with deities that go by different names, like materialism, like nationalism, like racism. I think God somewhere up there, out there, is always doing battle, and you can kind of see it as you look around you today. Here on the ground. In fact, as it gets really personal before I, I finally sit down, somebody have that guy sit down. Did you know that we lost Elie Wiesel, survivor of the Holocaust, gifted author, gifted writer, poet, most, most important book that he wrote was Night, translated into 50 some odd languages, and he wrote unapologetically as a Holocaust survivor. So hear this. I think wherever God is battling in the cosmic realm, wherever God is battling, I don't think God's battling anymore the ancient Egyptian gods. I think God is battling things like, like I said, racism and, and materialism and nationalism and my and your indifference. The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death. This is said by a Holocaust survivor. The opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. The harvest is enormous, the workers are few. 
not because so many would-be workers are somehow captured by Baal. I think we've done pretty well with that deity. But because so many potential would-be workers are captured by the deity known as yours and my indifference. That is a God that we still need to try as best we can to wrestle to the ground. Thing is, you have to fight. Teresa of Avila is a saint back in the, well, she's still a saint, but she lived and worked back in the 1500s, and she says this, it's really important for us. Christ has no body on earth but yours. No hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ looks out to the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless others. Now the stakes could not be higher. Some people would say that the church in North America is careening toward irrelevance. I want to add to that sentence and say, where the church is confined within its walls, when the church confines the term salvation within its walls, when the church confines words like mission within its walls, if the only good things that happen are the things that happen inside of our walls, I would agree. The church is going to die. And it's going to die largely because some of these younger generations want to believe that Christ and the church and faith and religion make a difference out there where we all actually live. Great news, ready? It makes a difference all the way out there where we actually live. If we're not indifferent. Today's sermon comes to all of us, your pastor included, who at times wrestles hard with indifference. Today's sermon is for all of us who at times need to be invited again and again and again to the table. To be reminded that who we are and what we have as the people of God, the people who are the hands and the feet and the mouth and the eyes as it has to do with the body of Christ, to be reminded that we are who we are, not because we have really conquered or done something all that special, but because we are who we are because of the gift of Christ. We are who we are in response to who God is that we see most clearly in Christ. We have this grace. We have this hope. We have this challenge. We have this calling. And God himself does more of the heavy lifting than we do. But we do need to show up. And I don't just mean show up to church. I mean show up to work. Show up in your homes. Show up behind the wheel. Show up everywhere that you show up. Show up as ambassadors, confident of these two things. There's no such thing as a God for second place. There's a Christian for second place. But there's no such thing as a God for second place. And the second thing, because we're on God's side, hear this, we win. What if you showed up every day and everywhere knowing that there are no God for second places and that we've won. Here's what. You would be an evangelist. You would be an evangelist. Circling all the way back around to the beginning, we should say this more often. Let's be evangelists. 
Not the kind that tote bullhorns around and threaten people if they don't agree with us, but the kind who actually live as if there are no God-forsaken places. Live as if God in Christ has already won. That's all it takes. If you're anything like me, you need this weekly reminder. If you're gonna help us today, please uh, come and gather and prepare this table and understand yourself to be invited to this table. No matter who you are or where you've come from today, you are invited to this table so long as you understand your need for grace. And that should cover about all of us <laughs> in need of grace. Now, you're not compelled to come. No one has to come. No one has to come. But you are invited to come. In a second, I'm going to ask you to stand and exit your pew to the left and come forward with your hands cupped to receive this gift of grace. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And as we partake of broken body and shed blood, remind us again of the story. Remind us again of the selfless and sacrificial love that has become our new reality. Remind us, God, of this victory, one in ways that we could not have imagined because in our world, in our minds, in our imaginations, victories are won through sheer size and strength. Remind us, God, that this best ever victory was won with love and weakness and hope. Remind us as we eat the bread and as we, as we drink. Remind us and nourish us and equip us in those very moments to be outreachers, to be evangelists, people who are constantly preaching this message of hope and victory sometimes using words. Like I said, in a moment, I'll ask you to stand and exit your pew to the left and then to come forward with your hands cut, all of you who are comfortable doing so. You'll approach somebody holding a plate of bread. As you get closer, you're gonna hear that that person is going to be speaking to you, and he or she will say to you as they break off a piece of bread, this is the body of Christ. Remember that story? This is the body of Christ broken for you. Take the piece of bread. Don't eat it just yet, but then dip it into the cup held by the person standing immediately right there. Dip it into the cup. When you do, that person will say to you every time, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And I want you to remember this story, the origin story of our victory. Remember the story. Then take and eat. Take and eat. And then find a place to pray. Now, you can pray right back. You can circle right back around and go back to your pew and pray, and you're certainly welcome to do so. If you come to the front at one of these kneeling benches, then what will happen is at some point, I will or someone will just touch you on the back of the head, the neck, the shoulder. It's odd. But I want you to know that you're not alone. And if somehow my touch or the touch of another person can communicate to you that you're not alone, that's what we're after, because you're not alone. If you go to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you're there for a prayer for healing. We actually believe that there is no such thing as a God-forsaken place. We believe in this prayer for healing because we believe that God is everywhere and winning. So if you're in need of physical, relational, mental, emotional, spiritual healing, someone will meet you there and pray that prayer and anoint you with the oil, symbolic of the sticky presence of God that we understand as the Spirit, companionship of the Spirit. If you can't come to us, Jason and Brittany will come to you There's also here a bowl with water in it and a towel right next to it. If you would like, you're invited to come and just dip the ends of your fingers into this bowl 
And hopefully the sensation will remind you of your baptism, the day that you were initiated, adopted into this movement of hope and victory. It would take a special trip, but I promise you it is a special trip. <laughs> but this is available to you as well. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body now broken for you. And every time, every time you eat it, remember me. Afterward, he took the cup and he held it up before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And now we know what he was talking about. Shed for you. And every time you drink it, remember me. Remember the story. Remember the victory. Remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, all who are willing to do so, none is compelled, but all who are willing to do so, would you now stand? Exit your pew to the left. Come forward with your hands cup to receive this little piece of bread. Dip it into the cup. Take and eat. And then find a place to pray. And then we'll close.
Father, we confess. We confess, Lord, that we, all of us, the pastor included, often fall short of where you would like for us to be because we have succumbed to the powers of indifference. We've been numbed by the constant imagery. We've been numbed by other worries and cares. We've been numbed by our busyness and our schedules. And competing definitions of success, God, we have, I have been numbed. Forgive us for our indifference. Forgive us, Lord, and remind us. Do whatever you need to do to remind us of your grace, of your victory, of the nearness of the kingdom of God and of your willingness to entrust this kingdom to people like us. Your willingness that this kingdom would be embodied by people who look just like us who would on our best days be able to articulate how it is and why it is that the victory is still being announced and embodied. Forgive us, God, that we have not been evangelists, but do direct our minds now. God, direct our minds right now to people within arm's reach, who could really use a word of hope, of promise, who could really use a gospel that is tangible. Bring to mind those names and faces right now. And then help us two by two. Help us to to travel in packs (laughs) so that we can reach and incorporate folks into your kingdom and culture. Let's continue in prayer with a few words and prayers of intercession. I've been asked to have in your mind's eye someone who God may place in your heart to share this good news of the gospel. you pray for them, also be thinking of another name, another face of someone who needs a specific healing touch from God, and as God places their face, their name in your mind's eye, would you pray for that person who needs a specific healing touch from you, and we believe that to be a physical touch, it could be an emotional touch, a relational healing that is in need, but someone in your mind that God's bringing to you now, please pray for that healing. wide, would you please say a prayer for Mark Carr and his family? It's heartbeat by heartbeat. Mark gets better. Ask that God would give him full healing to be with his family. Congregation wide, let's pray for Leon White as he recovers from heart surgery, that heartbeat by heartbeat, he would grow strong. God, he would heal our friend Leon. pray for those who have hearts that have been broken. It can be in a variety of different situations and life situations, but want to pray specifically for Marshall Merriman, the loss of her son. Ash should continue to come alongside Richard Lloyd. Be with all who've experienced loss, all who've experienced difficult trying times, God, that you would come alongside of them. And if you are thinking of someone now who's had a very difficult, trying time, and that person can be you, would you pray for yourself that God would come alongside of you and that God would bring healing and help in his presence into difficult and trying times?
on this day, we do pray for our country and we pray for our nation. Pray for upcoming elections, Lord. We pray for the opportunity to be the kingdom of God in this great nation. But also, God, we ask that you would allow us for your kingdom to come to bear in our lives in peaceful situations. May we bring peace in this country and in countries around the world. May your kingdom come to bear through us in places like Haiti and Zambia and Toronto and Cactus, Texas. That God, you would allow us and use us as your hands and feet and compassionate eyes to bring your kingdom to bear. That your kingdom may come and that peace may reign in our lives, in our neighborhoods, and around the world. Allow us, God, to live into this prayer, to believe this prayer with our lives and with our bodies. We're going to pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and it'll be in the screen in front of you, and we're going to pray using debts and debtors. So let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.